Hello and welcome to the Bang to Rights podcast. My name is Pete Murray. I'm a lecturer in multimedia journalism here at Manchester Metropolitan University. And I'm joined today by my MMU journalism colleagues, Dave Porter. Hello, Dave. Hi, Pete. And by Jeremy Craddock. Hi, Jez. Hi, Pete. As our focus this week really is going to be all on social media, social media and defamation, social media and safety online, the trawling of journalists on social media, not just here, actually, but in the US as well, where we'll be looking at the so-called Donald Trump effect on the impact of the president's hostility towards journalists on those working in the news and on student journalists in the US. Remember, as always, you can comment on these issues on Twitter at RightsBang. Please do get in touch. But to kick things off um, for this week, what have you been watching or reading, whatever? Dave, you've been having a look at social media defamation, haven't you? Uh, well, partly, yeah. I mean, actually, the, the case I was looking at was defamation, definitely. He's the shadow justice minister, and uh, he's won £30,000 in a libel payout from the Sun. And it was in connection with a band that he's kind of semi-involved in, childhood friends. And one of the covers was a, a kind of pastiche of a, a famous Black Sabbath album cover. But he uses kind of gothic, gothic insignia. And the sun was intimating that it, uh, the headline was Reich and Roll, and that he was somehow endorsing Nazi imagery. And uh, an interesting case because you know the sun had the uh, well, first of all, said that they they never once in you know. Uh, Implied that he was a Nazi supporter, of course, but the uh, the, the defences were of truth, which was not proved. Uh, honest opinion, which was, which couldn't be used because, of course, it was about truth, not an opinion. Uh, and the third one was responsible journalism. But what was interesting is, in, in the last uh, defence, was the judge said that um, in the online version they had not put the original Black Sabbath uh, references in, so there was no context in there. Uh, and when they were looking for a comment, they went to the Labour Party press office rather than to, uh, rather than uh, the Shadow Justice Minister. So, in effect, they had not been responsible. So, uh, pretty clear-cut case, actually, I, I would think, and, and uh, should be a, maybe a bit of a warning um, to other publishers. The other uh, social media one was Facebook, again, paying out a huge, I think it was £3 million pounds to mm-hmm. uh, Martin... Um, not Martin Lewis, yes. Yes, the, Martin Lewis. Yes, Martin yes, Lewis, yes. yes. And uh, because there were various adverts appearing on Facebook, uh, claiming to be endorsed by himself uh, and his, his obviously websites, etc. And he took action and, and was got a huge payout on that. So interestingly, that you know, as a publisher, is now seeming to be held liable. Yeah. So, so the courts kind of taming the wild west of the, of the social media mm. platforms in some increasingly ways, so yeah, increasingly so mm. so we'll have a look at the the legislative environment or what the legislative environment that that may be to come around that so uh um leaving aside the civil courts for just a minute jez what, what have you been looking at what's caught your attention yeah I, I was looking this week uh rather relevant this week as we've got um uh, ipso coming to speak to the students and and the regulatory side of things but i noticed that um ipso are looking to issue uh, some new guidance on reporting stories um they previously issued guidance on reporting suicides and sexual offenses but the latest one seems to be on uh, reporting stories relating to islam and muslims um and it follows quite a lot of um complaints to ipso about the way Muslims and and the religion of Islam has been presented in the media, so it'll be interesting to see what goes into that that kind of guidance and uh, how they play that out. And ha- so at this stage, it's just a kind of consultation. It they're is. looking for people's opinions. They're about looking it. to mm. yeah, they're looking to consult widely, and they have said that uh, whatever guidance comes in, it won't impinge on on the 
the right of journalists to criticise or to challenge or to stimulate debate mm-hmm. on an issue. So it's quite interesting to see how you know where they perhaps draw the line on you know where where we need to go with reporting. In that yeah, area. I suppose the model that they've got is kind of about good practice and being fair and, and mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. And we've we've seen the you mentioned the the um, the suicide. Um, mm-hmm. guidance that they put out and guidance about um, reporting on sexual violence and so on. So mm-hmm. they um, it, it probably follow a similar kind of thing. That yes. this, this is the sort of terminology that you should use and, and make sure you get your, well, yeah. your facts right. A lot so. of it relating to tone as well, I think, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. But okay. rather relevant this week as we've got yeah. Madeline Palash in with us. Yes, yeah, so we'll we'll, we'll hear more from Madeline, particularly about social media, because the the signals are this week that the government is preparing to take some serious action against the big social media platforms. BBC's uh, media editor Amol Rajan said last night it's now a question of when, not if. And earlier yesterday, during Prime Minister's questions in the House of Commons, the East Renfrewshire MP Paul Masterton asked the Cabinet Office Minister David Livington if Brexit was going to upset the timetable about just when the government would announce those measures to improve child safety online. For parents across East Renfrewshire, the safety of their children online is an absolute priority. So I very much welcome the announcements from the government this week in relation to more steps for social media companies. But can my right honourable friend confirm that the online harms white paper remains on track to be out on time and that whatever happens with Brexit, this work stream will be a priority for this government? Yes, and I've actually talked to the Culture Secretary this week about the need to press ahead with uh, urgency on on this task. Um, We've heard the calls for an internet regulator and a statutory duty of care, and we're seriously considering these options. And our white paper will set out clear responsibilities on how those responsibilities should be met and what should happen if they are not. Earlier in the week, the Digital Minister, Margot James, said a laissez-faire environment online meant some internet companies had paid little regard for the security and interests of their users and that a planned white paper, which Liddington just mentioned, will set out new legislative measures to ensure that the platforms remove illegal content and prioritise the protection of users, especially children, young people and vulnerable adults. Before we look at the effects in the UK, we're joined here in the studio by Dr Rob Peasley, who's the chair of the Journalism and Creative Industries Department at Texas Tech University. Rob, welcome to Bank to Rights. Thank you very much for having me. So that kind of legislative context that we, we talked about um, in, in the UK, is, is that kind of being mirrored at all in the United States? Is there any kind of pressure from Congress or, or elsewhere to, to kind of clamp down, restrict whatever, the, um, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and the other social media giants? I think there's some, there's some pressure, but it's pretty abstract or diffuse. Uh, it hasn't really manifested in any uh, serious effort to pass legislation or even as far as I know to to draft legislation that has any chance of you know being realistically considered I think most of the the pressure has been in the form of the congressional hearings that I'm sure you've seen over here yeah, yeah, with yeah. Uh, people like Mark Zuckerberg and other um, you know uh, I guess luminaries of the tech industry you know yeah. where they're sort of been they've been sort of called to account um, in front of Congress and I think that that has um, resulted in some pressure and in some some results in terms of a company like Facebook re-examining how they gather, share, manipulate data. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, the the best that the UK Parliament could do in that regard was to, to issue a, an instruction for him to come, but he he didn't. So there was an empty chair in one of the committee rooms with Zuckerberg's name on it, and that was the best they could manage. They got they got one of the European vice presidents to stand in for him. Mm-hmm. But yeah. a similar kind of scrutiny process going on, except here it's it looks like it's leading in the direction of some legislation. We're not quite clear what it's going to be yet. Well, it appears that you have a you have a an actively uh, working government. Which well, well, <laughs> a bit, a bit kind of besieged by Brexit at the minute, but yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, really, that's one of that's part of the context I think for us in the states is that there is so little governance to happening at, in our in our government. Uh, it's so competition driven. It's so conflict driven. It's very uh, fragmented and bifurcated and. Uh, every, it, it seems as though everybody is always campaigning instead of governing, and yeah. it's very difficult to it's very difficult to see how how meaningful uh, sort of bipartisan efforts can can proceed in that environment. Yeah, let's have a little look at that then, because you talk about that kind of atmosphere of conflict and and so on. Um, arising mostly from the president from from Donald Trump himself but you 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 see some kind of bounce effect of that that people are although the the president is complaining about journalists mm-hmm. it's actually it seems to be encouraging younger people to to think about journalism as a career yeah i mean at least in our case we're i'm at texas tech university which is a fairly large public university we're at about 38,000 students mm-hmm. right now uh but that we're we're far from the largest in Texas. Yeah, uh, if that gives you any perspective. Um, but at least where we are, we are seeing um, a modest, um, anecdotal I- uh, increase in the number of students who are coming to us out of high school with an interest in majoring in journalism specifically. Um, and that's as modest as that has been. It's notable because um, we feel that we'd been pretty lucky over the past several years to sort of maintain our journalism enrollment in the context of the larger discussions about journalism, at least in the United States, yeah. being on the wane and, and, and parents not being uh, super interested in their children majoring in journalism yeah, um, yeah. as a career choice. And that's despite the fact that I guess um, public opinion widely across the U.S. is very much down on, on journalists and, and the news media, isn't it? Well, I think it, I think it, I think that's true, but I think it's changed a little bit in the Trump era because the discourse has become uh, more overtly negative or hostile or threatening to journalists. Um, I think that people, some people, are starting to understand that maybe they were taking some things for granted um, mm-hmm. and that there's there's a possibility that uh, what, what, you know, some of the, the shortcomings that they saw with journalism in the context of a commercial sphere, in the context of cable news, in the context of social media, um, that maybe those were um, not necessarily as fatal a flaw as as they, you know, they maybe have casually thought in a context where they thought, well, journalism will always be around, and you know, it's worth yeah. complaining about. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now that the the threat is overt, uh, if you take the president at his word. Um, I think, you know, that, that has sort of, it has changed the, the, 
the tenor of the conversation, I think, a little bit. Yeah. And is that reflected kind of online in, in the Twitter sphere, as we call it over here? I mean, if, if, the, if the president is using Twitter to attack journalists and uh, news media generally, um, is, that, is that something that, that your students are aware of? And is that a danger more widely? I mean, is, is, that a, is he kind of leading an attack or triggering a wider attack on journalists and, and, and the news media? Again, anecdotally, I would say, just based on my own activity on, on social media, I certainly see the the term fake news used mm-hmm. uh, unironically <laughs> by uh, by a number of you know people that are in my network relatively tangentially, but you know as a result of uh, you know friends of friends and things like that on on political issues. Um, it's very. It can be very difficult if you only consume information in a social media space to really see where the unassailable, you know, sort of agreed upon consensus, like truth is, uh, the 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 national or the or the cultural conversation around facts and things that are true. It can be very difficult to find. In, a, in the social media space. And I think in, tra- in training journalists, uh, that's a new thing uh, for us to contend with in the era of the evening news and, you know, four or five national record newspapers yeah. uh, in the United States. It was, it was, you did not have to train journalists to educate others about their, um, you know, their... Um, their expertise. Yeah, I mean, know, there is their, that whole wider thing about digital literacy, isn't there? Right, and, and but also that. their legitimacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that, and kind of evaluating who who's more likely to be telling the truth than someone else. Right, and then, and that's always been a media literacy issue. That's yeah. always you know, but as journalists, you know, for most of the you know modern history of journalism in the United States, you didn't have to make the case for yourself on the terms of legitimacy. Yeah. If you were a journalist and you were you were uh, following the professional norms of journalism and you were on TV and you know you were assumed to be doing professional journalism uh, the assumption now I think the default assumption at least again perhaps this is just a social media thing but the default assumption seems to be you have an angle and what is it and that's a very different you know cultural context in which to, to train journalists and to be a journalist yeah yeah um, if we spool back a little bit then to, you talked about what is true, where are the facts. Um, this is going to be contested enormously and was contested just like the other night when uh, the, the president was delivering a State of the Union address, the Robert Mueller inquiry. Mm-hmm. And is there anything in that that might have, have a wider effect, wider implications for social media and, and for Facebook in particular? Sure. Well, I guess it remains to be seen, but it, it certainly... Based on what we know so far, uh, and what's been reported so far, there's there's certainly a relationship between social media, um, election tampering, um, you know, abuses of power, and also uh, just confusion and and uncertainty on the part of the the information consuming public. Um, and so I think it'll be very interesting, obviously, in a number of ways to see what, what comes out in the Mueller report 
uh, if indeed it is allowed to come out, which, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, another issue altogether. <laughs> um, yeah. But it will be very, I think I think one of the audiences who will be uh, most invested in what's in that report will be the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world. Yeah. Um, because, you know, if there are things in there that can, can't be ignored by legislators, then we're likely to see, you know, perhaps some actual legislation that might come out of that. Yeah. Okay, Rob Peasley, thanks very much. Maybe maybe we'll make a date and come back to you when the the Miller reports released, and we can have another discussion about exactly what's in there. That sounds great. I appreciate you having me on. Okay, thanks very much. Now, if the government is looking at tighter regulation here of the big social media platforms, we do know that there's already some regulation around the use of social media by journalists. Now, Jez, you've been finding out more about all of that from Madeleine Palash of Ipso, the press regulator. What's she got to say? Yeah, it, interesting to see what Madeleine had to say um, to our Level 5 students in media law and regulation. But um, her talk really focused on... Um, social media as a platform, as a, as, a, as a source of content and information for journalists and the sort of the pitfalls around, you know, using uh, content from uh, Facebook accounts, from Twitter, that sort, of, that sort of thing, and the need to be careful, um, you know, in checking and making sure that the content is what it, sa it says it is. Um, so issues around privacy and also intrusion into grief and shock as well. And the sort of regulatory things that we that we use as journalists. Um, so she, yeah, so she was quite interesting to talk about those things. Okay, so let's hear from Madeline now. Okay, so here in the media law and regulation uh, lecture, and uh, I've um, with me I've got Madeline Palach from Ipso, and uh, Madeline's just delivered a, a really good lecture to our level five students about the work of Ipso and the editor's code of practice but with particular reference to social media and with some really good examples which I think our students found uh, found interesting what what sort of um, what sort of pitfalls do you think journalists face with dealing with social media in, in relation to the code of practice mm -hmm. do you think I think one of the difficult aspects of obtaining material from social media is privacy issues mm. and I think journalists often have to think carefully about the manner in which they're obtaining information as well as what that information shows so for example a journalist wanting to find a photograph of someone or um, information particular information they'll be searching that person's name and that person may have some privacy settings in place um, which they need to be you know thinking about but of course when someone's uh, photograph of their, is their display picture, for example, not protected by privacy settings, then that is being put into the public domain. And that's important, something for journalists to be thinking about, is anything put into the public domain they are able to be reporting on. Also on the flip side of that as well is what does that information show? So if it's a photograph of a child, for example, um, what is the relevance of that child to the particular story that you're um, you're telling? So, for example, is it a uh, a report that you want to do on um, someone that's convicted of a, of a crime? Um, we've got clause nine of the code, which is relatives or friends must not be identified if they're not genuinely relevant to the story, as well as protections under Clause 6 for children and Clause 2 for, for, for privacy. So you may be getting photos of someone um, 
that's in a, a photograph that's a display picture and just shows someone's um, face. But what about those people in the background? Mm. That's what you need to be thinking about. Yes, yeah. And I know um, that, that, that's obviously a good advice and guidance to journalists. Mm -hmm. I know that Ipso offer a, a guidance note to members of the public on the same issue. Mm -hmm. How much of your, your role do you think is about educating the, the public about um, the role of journalists and their responsibilities in regard to, you know, um, a free and open press and the public interest? Mm -hmm. I, I personally think it's central to my role and Whenever I come across a complainant, whether it be during an investigation or someone that I speak to over the phone, one of the things I'm really thinking about is how can I just communicate to this person that may have never been a subject of media attention before, what the role of journalists are and why that role is so important in you know, our democratic society of having a responsible free press. So... I speak to lots and lots and lots of people that are concerned because their Facebook photograph has been taken or a journalist has attended their family member's inquest. And of course, that can be a shocking and saddening um, you know, occasion for that person. But it's important to always educate um, those people on the role that the press do to be able to, mm. to go into those inquests and courts um, to report on those things. And we publish guidance on that reporting of inquest and we also publish guidance. We've published it, it's all on our website, of reporting things from social media. Mm. Um, and so we, we do a lot of work um, to make sure that the public are as best informed as they can on these issues. Mm. And obviously we're in a digital age now, social media is, is still emerging really. And we, as we go through it as journalists, we're finding new ethical issues that we're unaware of in in the past that we're having to adapt to what sort of challenges do you see for journalism ahead in in relation to online and social media do you, are you sort of getting any trends coming through from the complaints that are made to ipso that might give us a heads up to what might be ahead i think as you say, the press are always evolving and always um, changing as society changes. And I think what is an interesting thing that I've just noticed, not, not necessarily through the complaints that I've investigated, but about people, citizen journalists, I call them, sharing content or sharing information which may not be the subject of any particular regulation. Um, for example, um, you know, the sharing of, of content which may um, show excessive detail of suicide, for example. That's a um, situation that Instagram are facing with people doing that. Um, journalists have to be mindful of their obligations under the code when reviewing that particular information um, that a we call them user-generated content publishes on a website which may lead you know to excessive detail of the method use of suicide um, I think I think it's just being aware that there's a lot more interaction of readers with content now and just keeping an eye on that because we as a regulator do have remit to look at that kind of content um, but only if there's pre-moderation by the publication um, but I think it's it's difficult in a digital age when there's so much content so much material being shared um, off the back of stories that people are reading. Mm. Okay.
Thank you for that, Madeline, and thank you for coming in to speak to the students. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Madeline Palash from Ipsu, and we'll almost certainly return to this in later episodes of the podcast once that government white paper is published to look in detail about what effects these proposals might have on the work of journalists. But that's about it for Bang to Rights this week. Before we go, Jez, Dave, our usual roundup. What can the students expect in the coming week? Well, today, uh, inquest, Pete, in fact... Next week is Employability Week. We're going to tip them to the Yeah, yeah, looking so, forward to that. So we'll m- maybe do a report back next week on, on all of yes. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. yeah and in uh, Law and Ethics with the Level 6s, we are looking at uh, journalist sources when we come back and, and protecting those. Great stuff. So some exciting times coming up, coming up. And uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to Coroner's Court. So we'll, we'll have a look at that. So um, for this week, um, thanks, Dave. Thanks, Jez. We have been Bang to Rights. Remember, you can subscribe to Bang to Rights on Apple Podcasts and, as usual, you'll also find us on Stitcher or you can search for Bang to Rights on the MMU Northern Quota SoundCloud feed. That's all one word, MMU Northern Quota. Please leave us a rating. It helps spread the word and it does actually help others find us. So um, remember, you can tweet us at RightsBang. Follow us for updates about the podcast and cases and stories we're following in the courts and in the news. Do let us know if there are topics or issues from the lectures or from your own reading that you want us to cover in future editions. We really would love to hear from you. But in the meantime, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.